0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week we've got a spoiler-free review of the fifth film in the greatest adventure series of all
1: time, plus, I'm Jeff Braun, we also checked out the Dungeons and Dragons movie on Netflix and I watched an early awards contender called Past Lives, plus, what's turned out to be one of my favorite shows of the year ended its first
0: season with not just a bang, but a mind-shattering volcanic eruption. and magic, but a few times in my life, I've seen things, things I can't explain. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny.
1: Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy?
0: Harrison Ford is back as the legendary archaeologist Indiana Jones who has to go on one last adventure with his goddaughter played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge to track down the dial of destiny which can change history. So naturally there are Nazis led by Mads Mikkelsen. Hitler made mistakes and with this I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it.
1: And then I stole it.
0: The movie has been hovering around 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't terrible, but it's not a slam dunk. And with an apparent budget of around $300 million, this movie needs to be a mega smash hit.
1: I've been tortured with voodoo. I've been, I've been shot nine times. Including once by your father. <laughs> ah, sorry.
0: I've been looking for this all my life.
1: So, Jeff, what'd you think? I enjoyed it. Uh, Overall, I thought it was quite a bit better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but obviously not as good as the original trilogy. I do think with all the time that came in between The Last Crusade and Crystal Skull that the original three still sort of stand as their own thing and that the legacy of the name Indiana Jones isn't tainted by these two later movies that aren't as good. Uh, For a modern action movie starring an 80-year-old man with a bunch of baked-in expectations, I thought this was pretty much the best-case scenario. But let's start with few of the things I didn't like. The thing, honestly, that bummed me out the most uh, pertain to the stuff that had happened to Indy in the years since Crystal Skull, won't get into spoilers, obviously, and I sort of, you know, get the rationale behind it as it pertains to the final act and the character stakes and motivation and all of that stuff, but I just thought it was kind of too harsh. I mean, this isn't the English patient, it's Indiana Jones, and we just came to have some fun, that's all we came to do. There are also some innocent lives lost that seemed meaner than I was expecting, and i don't recall seeing a whole lot of that in uh, some of the in the older movies. Although, I mean, that guy that got his heart ripped out probably didn't deserve it. That was pretty <laughs> brutal too. Um, and there was even a bad guy death that involved a set of handcuffs that I just was like, I looked at my buddy, I was like, "Whoa, oh, that was dark." And he's like, "Yeah." Uh, so that was kind of that was. Some of that stuff I didn't really care for just because it didn't really fit the tone of Indiana Jones, I thought. Uh, Boyd Holbrook plays a henchman in this movie, and I don't know if there is stuff that was cut out or something, but we learned nothing about that guy or why he's doing what he does, and Boyd Holbrook, I thought, is just kind of too big a name to have such a nothing role, and there's a scene near the end where he's, Kind of wildly firing his gun like a madman, and just it was was truly bizarre. I was like, "What is the point of this guy and what he's doing right now?" And on town, Antonio Banderas also in the movie again. As a very small part, and I didn't understand why, we're hiring an actor of his stature for such a minor role. I mean, if you're buying a ticket just because you love Antonio Banderas, you are going to be disappointed with this movie. Uh, And While we're at it, Mads Mikkelsen doesn't really get a whole lot to do. I mean, he's in it a lot, and he's a bad guy, but he's not doing much. I mean, he's also not an actor we often see raging like a maniac or anything like that. And I guess a lot of the Indiana Jones villains, save for Temple of Doom, are kind of quieter folks. Um, Like, Belloc doesn't go around screaming and punching people and stuff like that either. So I guess it's in keeping with it. And I must say, I did miss Steven Spielberg. I think James Mangold's a terrific director and he did a good job here, but uh, Steven Spielberg would have added a little magic that no one else can bring except him. So I did kind of miss the Spielberg of it all. But uh, turning into the likes category, and I mean, James Mangold is, he was a steady hand on the rudder and that's all we really needed, and he did a uh, great job with that, I thought. Harrison Ford, of course, is the main draw, and at 80 years old, I I was uh, mightily impressed with uh, his performance, Uh, both sometimes he kind of seems like he's not really into it in the later part of his career. This, he seemed like he was into it, and he was in uh, better shape than I was expecting too. so... I was glad to see that. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I thought, was a fun addition to it. Um, she's kind of a – you can't really tell if she's a good guy or a bad guy kind of deal, which is kind of interesting but also kind of weird. But uh, she brought some fun to it. She added clearly ad-libbed a few lines because she's got a terrific sense of humor. And she could sort of – that just came through a bunch. John Williams was – the score was awesome, and I was like – I'd been seeing some stuff about this guy and he may or may not be retiring soon. He's in his nineties already. So I was like, Oh, we should appreciate the John Williams score while we still have John Williams scores to appreciate in a new movie. Obviously a lot of the music is, you know, the main theme held over from previous movies, but, uh, I, I just enjoyed the John Williams music and I was, Conscious about the fact that it might be one of the last times we get to see that sort of thing. Uh, The story I thought was, it was fine. I mean, uh, they put their foot on the gas and didn't really take it off all the way through the movie. The dial itself and the ramifications were interesting. I don't know if people are complaining about the crazy stuff that happens at the end. If they're saying it's too unbelievable or things like that because... I know they did that after Crystal Skull, but all these movies have wild, supernatural-related kind of stuff going on. Melty Faces and The Heart Rips and Thousand-Year-Old Knights and Aliens, so I don't think now in the fifth movie the stuff that happens should be too much. Um, There's the flashback sequence at the beginning, which we see in the trailer with younger Indiana Jones, and I thought the de-aging technology... Is probably the best we've seen to this point. Still not perfect. There were definitely some weird stuff going on there visually from time to time, but it mostly worked and uh I thought it was a it was a good idea. Like I enjoyed the scene they did or whatever and to take us back to a little bit of younger indie was kind of fun. Good chases. There were a lot of them. Uh, I mostly liked them. It was some fun stuff and I thought the dialogue was much better than Crystal Skull. That there's just something there's something very odd. it's not a bad movie or it's a better movie than we thought, but there's still something really off about that Crystal Skull. This felt like an actual Indiana Jones movie to me, and I'll give it three and a half Coach Cushions out of five.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I re- quite enjoyed this film as well, and I went in really skeptical Where because The Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. I went in just so excited to see Indiana Jones and initially loved it, and then I thought about it and realized that I was... Just kind of riding a an adrenaline high almost forgetting to see Indiana Jones on the big screen. So I went in with this into this with healthy skepticism and came out uh pleased. I liked the theme of the fact that he Here's a guy who spent his whole life chasing relics, and now he is one. He doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. People, even in his class, don't really care about what he he's teaching anymore. They, Everyone cares about space. They care about the future. So he's this old, broken, and beaten man. I'll start with my gripes. I found the... I did find the climax kind of confusing again. Crystal Skull had a weird climax, and this one was kind of weird too. I mean, look, they all have... Weird climaxes where you just kind of go like at the end of Raiders, you're like, "What just happened there?" <laughs> but the the way it, it's presented, you 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 sort of accept like yeah. Some mysteries are are left better off being mysteries, sure. so. But I still thought the climax was cool here particularly the setting, but it was just weird. But I did like that it gave Indy a really emotional moment to kind of, I think, reconcile his life's work and really inevitably his life. Phoebe Waller-Bridge character was fun, but I found her kind of tough to like. As you pointed out, Jeff couldn't decide, they couldn't seem to decide what she was. Is she a scoundrel? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I just, I didn't quite buy into her character, but she was resourceful and did some cool stunts. And on the whole, I do like Waller Bridge as a performer. And while I like the old broken and beaten story, feels like we're seeing this a bit too often lately. And even for Harrison Ford, I mean, look at what happens in Star Wars in The Force Awakens when his character pops up. He's still Han Solo, but he's kind of lost after stuff that happened with his family, and now here's Indiana Jones, and he's kind of lost after the events that have occurred in his life, and it was the same for Obi-Wan Kenobi in the TV show. He's getting older, and he's defeated, and needs to be brought back to life, but... However, I think this was the best way to go thematically for this character. Because, yeah, sure, it would have been fun if he was just happy from the start and decides, all right, fellas, let's go on one more crazy adventure. But he's 80. His body hurts. He's emotionally spent. So I like how they handled that. Also, this this feels weird saying this out loud, but I kind of think maybe too much action. Like there were, was it three vehicle chases? Three.
1: Ah, uh, probably. Was it, two or three? it feels uh, like it. Yeah. Oh, if you count the train, that's a chase. Well, chase on a train. Yeah, chase on a train. Yeah.
0: On a train. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, and some of them went on for a while. Yeah. Like it was a lot of action, and while I always enjoy the action in the Indiana Jones movies, I always feel like the action complements the move, the- complemented those movies. Whereas here, it f- almost overwhelmed it. And yes, some of the action is insane. Like all that stuff with him on the horse was crazy stunt driving around the streets of Tangier and a tuk-tuk was crazy. Like, he was driving this thing like it was a race car. Uh, but the action in these movies has always been like that. Like, when he's being dragged behind that truck in Raiders. Like, that would have torn him to shreds. <laughs> or when they fall out of a plane in Temple of Doom and land on the inflatable lifeboat. Or Last Crusade. Just watched that the other day. They're in a car trying to flee the Nazis who then drop a bomb on the road and then they crash in this sudden pothole, like really hard, in a vehicle that doesn't have airbags and they just get up and walk out, no scratch. So I'm not penalizing them for the level of wackiness to the action, just that maybe there was too much. And in the first 20 minutes when they de-aged him did you notice they didn't change his voice? Yeah, it was weird. He looked looked
1: younger, but his voice was still 80-year-old Indiana. You would think that would be the easiest thing to change. Even if you get 80-year-old Harrison Ford reading the dialogue and, like, I, like, has nobody invented an Indiana Jones filter that no whatever what you say, it sounds like Indy? You know what I mean? Like, do that.
0: Well, they did that for Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan yeah, Kenobi. They, they changed his voice, they got him to record the dialogue, and then they they tweaked it up a little bit. Um, same thing with Mads Mik- Mickelson. He's terrific in everything he does, but he just didn't have a lot to work with here because his character is so straight-laced. He's an emotionless, almost robotic scientist. And just by the way, did drinking from the Holy Grail.
1: Have any effect on Indiana Jones? No, because he crossed the seal. It only gives you that everlasting life if you stay in that room with the old man. Oh the yes, old night,
0: right. Okay, thank you, thank you. I was yeah. scratching my head about that. I'm like,
1: did it do anything? Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of incidental uh, God magic to it or whatever that <laughs> left let him get to be 80 years old, the character, and still be able to jump from tuck tuck to tuck tuk while they're on the run kind of thing, but I don't know. They should have said that. That would have been a good excuse for it, you know?
0: But some of the good stuff that I liked, I, I did love the story. I loved the theme of the story. I loved the mystery. I loved seeing them explore more caves and tombs and solving the puzzles and all the Indiana Jonesing stuff that comes with these movies. Absolutely. In spite of Indiana Jones being almost down and out, he's not quite down and out. Like, he's, he's portrayed as an aging man, but he's still got some pep in his step and he still manages to show his worth and resourcefulness he's still Indiana Jones just not as young as he used to be those first 20 minutes by the way that flashback sequence was fantastic just a great little story to kick off the movie and set us up for future events it was thrilling it was fun little too dark which they probably did to make the de-aging process easier. And the climax was definitely not what I expected in terms of where they ended up. And while, again, I found it a little confusing, still found it satisfying. And the final scene ends with a nice callback to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I thought was a perfect way to end up. But uh, I think with that final shot, they left, they've left the door open to another potential adventure here, so I don't know about that. But I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five. And I'll just quickly mention as well on the subject of the score john williams score I, I knew there was no stinger in the credits or after the credits so i get up and i'm walking out of the theater and i th- and i stop myself to think what are you doing this might be the last time you hear this music yeah. in a movie theater Absolutely. so I, sat, I just sat back down
1: nice I, yeah, we stayed and lingered too i don't know that we made it all the way to the end we made it through that you know the main music at least Yeah. So three and a half couch cushions out of five from
0: Jeff, four couch cushions for me for Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. Oh, and the box office, it made $60 million in its opening weekend. It is currently as of Thursday afternoon at $154 million worldwide. So yeah, it's going to have to work quite hard to make that money back. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and my most anticipated movie of the year opens this coming week. It's Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Our lives are the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost Top Gun Maverick will probably go down as the biggest hit of Tom Cruise's illustrious career, but the Mission Impossible movies have really been his bread and butter for years now, especially since 2011's Ghost Protocol. That was the fourth in the series. Dead Reckoning Part 1 is the seventh, and his third with director Christopher McQuarrie. The movies have been getting better and better each time out, which is an extremely rare achievement, and every time we kind of think, well, they won't be able to top that last movie each time, Cruise and McQuarrie do just that, so can't wait to See what they have in store for us The ads all say it opens July twelfth. It looks like they've moved it up a bit I've seen uh, tickets on sale for Monday the 10th And Tuesday the 11th At any rate, by this time next week, Brett, I will have seen it Ethan, what's your objective? What's your ultimate objective? Your life will always matter more to me and my own none of our lives can matter more than this mission. I don't accept that.
0: And I can confirm that it has been officially moved yeah. up to the 10th. I just f- spotted that now. I think part of what the, cause it was supposed to be the 14th and then it was the 12th and yeah. then it was the 10th. Cause Tom Cruise, <laughs> part of the thing is, that's happening here, I think is he's trying to get his, the max screenings of out of IMAX oh, Okay. because right now Indiana Jones is in there and then uh, I guess maybe he'll, Kick Indiana Jones out, I don't know, but Oppenheimer's got like a three-week run in IMAX.
1: Oh, so that's what he's doing. And Indy underperformed a bit, so people probably, theaters won't mind switching to Mission.
0: Yeah, so Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Can't wait to see that. And up next, we got to tell you about the movies that are out this weekend and the one that Jeff, another awards contender that Jeff saw this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. As promised, we will tell you about the awards season contender film that Jeff saw this week. But before that, this past week on Netflix, I was shocked to see this because it just came out in theaters on March 29th. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Truth be told, we helped the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So, how do we pull that off? Uh. Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez lead the cast in this adaptation of the decades old popular role playing game, which has seen a resurgence in recent years. And this movie got terrific reviews, summing it up as a good hearted comedy adventure, whether you're a fan of the game or not.
1: What is it exactly that you bring to this?
0: I'm a planner, I make plans.
1: You've already made the plan, so
0: if the existing plan fails, I make a new plan.
1: So you make plans that fail. No. He also plays the
0: loot. Not relevant. so it wasn't a super smash, but it did a respectable ninety-three million dollars domestically and two hundred and eight million worldwide, ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics, ninety-three percent with audiences, which is a slight, just a teensy improvement from the Dungeons and Dragons movie from the year two thousand, which got a nine percent score with critics, and only twenty percent with audiences. So that's a bona fide stink-a-rooney. Where's this one? Well, what Jeff? What'd you think? I enjoyed it.
1: I don't even remember what that other one.
0: Jeremy Irons was the bad guy. I really?
1: Think. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, no, this one, the new one, it's fun, and it's so nice to see a fantasy movie or show not taking itself seriously, like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones all these things where you have to get to know the whole world of Middle Earth or Westeros or whatever and all the people, places, and things involved in those stories, that's just not the case here. I mean, Dungeons & Dragons has all that stuff, and the movie puts it all in there, but the overwhelming you know, vibe is that, just enjoy the show, don't worry about the specifics, or any of these things, because it just doesn't matter. So I, I enjoyed, it was refreshing to watch something fun like that, where it's, it's like I didn't feel like it was homework, or I should be taking notes, or I have to like <laughs> hit pause to look up what the tablet of... You know, really means and all those kind of things. (laughs) Um, I thought Chris Pine is terrific in this. He is underrated. I've never not enjoyed that guy in a movie. And I guess we first took notice of him in that first Star Trek movie. Uh, I liked him in his Jack Ryan movie. I liked him in Horrible Bosses 2. I liked him in the Wonder Woman movies. Uh, He was great in Hell or High Water. I even liked him in All the Old Knives, which is a pandemic-era spy thriller. It wasn't a great movie, but he was great in it. He can kind of do anything genre-wise, and he's a very strong comic actor and that probably he probably doesn't get his due in that department because there's that thing of like oh he's too handsome to be funny I guess for a lot of people like if you're handsome it's just people won't laugh at your jokes for some reason. You're just, no, you're too pretty. You can't be funny. So I don't know. He is, and he's pretty. So there you go. Uh, Even though the movie doesn't take itself seriously and is decidedly goofy a lot of the time, it also still managed to be quite moving at the end. I was surprised it made me cry. I was like, what is going on? How am I crying at this Dungeons & Dragons movie? But (laughs) it had a great ending. It's not nothing, you know extremely out of the ordinary or nothing anything like that, but they just, just landed it well, I thought, and there was some emotional beats there that got to me. Um, uh, there's another kid in this movie called Justice Smith, the actor. He was in the last two Jurassic Park movies, which I've recently watched, so uh, I keep seeing this guy popping up. I'm becoming a big fan of him. He's great in this as a as he plays a wizard who isn't too sure about his powers and he gets a lot of good comic beats there. Michelle Rodriguez, she plays a very stoic character, which she is really good at, and I've been back and forth on her for years. Obviously, it's fun watching her you know, kick butt in the Fast and Furious movies, but I've also still really got some like lingering hatred for her character on Lost. <laughs> She's in the second season of Lost, and that's 18 years ago already. <laughs> I should probably let that go. But every time I see her, it's like, ugh, it's Anna Lucia again. (laughs) No thanks. She destroyed that show. She's so... Oh, I just hated her in that show. Um, And I know it was a CGI fest. That's fine. That's fantasy movies. And the CGI creatures and landscapes all look good. The only problem I has was with... I don't know if it's green screen, but I would call it the green screen work, where the environments look great, but you could easily see the seams and that the characters weren't there, that there was shot in a studio somewhere and then superimposed background kind of a thing. Uh, A lot of great movies have had similar problems years ago, but... I don't know, I feel by 2023 how come they can't get that to look more realistic uh all the time than they're able to it's bizarre. That's you know really my only gripe with the movie. I do Hope they make more. I don't know anything about the Dungeons and Dragons lore, but I assume there are just a ton of different stories they could tell in this world. Uh, you could tell all the way through the movie that if you were hardcore into Dungeons and Dragons, that it, it felt like they threw literally everything in any of that stuff on the screen in one moment or another. You just see two little creatures playing with a thing, and it's like oh, I bet people know what that's all about. <laughs> it was just you know stuff like that. So um, hopefully the Dungeons and Dragons fans liked it. I, I imagine they did. Uh, you mentioned the box office and the fan uh, percentage on Rotten Tomatoes that type of thing Uh, I liked it quite a bit three and a half couch cushions out of five for me
0: yeah for me too it was I thought it was so much fun because the trailers looked fun but looked silly so I I wasn't super excited to see this but when it popped up on Netflix I thought why not let's give this a go and I was pleasantly shocked and surprised like you by how touching this film was it was a Really, the whole thing was about teamwork and friendship and family and sacrifice and learning to live with your mistakes and learning how to let go. The cast had great chemistry, particularly Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez. And I just, I thought it was, it almost felt old fashioned to to see that these characters are just... Work as a team rather than upstaging each other or bringing one character down to elevate the other. Uh, so that was great. I thought the visuals were fun and inventive. Like when the, you know, the the big dragon who looks like what did he? What did they say? Did he eat his old <laughs> den? Like because he's he's a little roly poly. Slow moving, yeah. Hugh Grant, I thought was great playing yes. the weasel ruler of the land. He's just he's always fun, and uh, I say like you, I have no idea how similar any of this movie is to the role playing game. I've never played the game. Uh, the last Dungeons and Dragons thing I think I watched was the cartoon from when the nineteen eighties. Oh wow! Uh, with the uh, high school kids who end up going either back through time or they get transported to a different land. <laughs> uh, so hopefully the fans of the game enjoyed it too, because while it playfully made fun of the genre at times. It was tongue-in-cheek, and it was more of a celebration of the tropes of fantasy rather than outright mockery. And there's this great gag where they're talking to dead people. I won't spoil what's going on, but right. it's the kind of scene that could have re- been really bad or really cheesy, but it had me in stitches, and I think that's a salute to, as you pointed out, Jeff, Chris Pine. His comic timing is excellent. And I think this is the kind of movie that over time could... Maybe get some legs and be celebrated. Like, it sort of had a similar vibe to something like The Princess Bride. Yep. Great adventure with some fun comedy. Stardust. Yeah, that's... Oh, I should watch that again. We both gave that the sectional, didn't we? Oh, yeah. That was a big one. That was a truly a a wonderful film. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, this one was lighthearted, but a great adventure. It's not too long, just over two hours. I guess the only gripes I have are that some of the comedy was weak, some of the jokes were like, eh. And they introduced a really cool character... Who would have been really helpful to the team had he stuck around, but he just kind of leaves, and then we don't see him again until it's almost over. Walks that straight line. Yeah. That was my favorite part. Oh, yeah. You'll, when you watch it, you'll understand. He's like, oh, no, he's just going to keep going straight through. So I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five. Up next, we've got to tell you about the award contender film Jeff watched, got to tell you what's new in theaters, and I just got to give you a quick recap of the season finale of one of my favorite shows of 2023. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Coach Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and a new movie from Korea is already getting awards buzz. It's called Past Lives. Not really show sure how to feel about... It. Childhood
0: sweethearts reconnect only to realize they were meant for each other. He was just this kid in my head. I think I just missed him. Did he miss you? This is my life. This is where I'm supposed
1: to be. want you to stay... Lives comes to us from Celine Song, a woman who was born in South Korea, raised in Ontario, and lives in New York City. And that's actually the same trajectory as the lead character in the movie. Um, how close that character's story, Hughes, to hers, though, I don't know. Regardless, you can tell from the movie that it is a deeply personal tale she's telling, and it really pays off. I'll also point out that Celine Song is mostly a playwright, and the movie feels like it was written by a playwright. I mean, three sets, and you could turn this movie into a play real easily, I think. It's a mix of Korean and English, although it's mostly in Korean, so there are subtitles. But, you know, like in the trailer and the commercial that we just listened to, they try to take out the English, put the English in there the most. Uh, they always just trying to trick people to go see a subtitled movie, which... (laughs) just how that just doesn't backfire on them. I don't know but because I've been to those movies and seen people walk out when they realize there were subtitles. So if subtitles are a deal breaker, don't go see this because it's mostly subtitles. Uh, the movie begins in Seoul where we meet two 12-year-olds, Nora and Sung, played by Greta Lee and T.O.U. and they're best of friends and we're led to believe that if life were to carry out as normal, they'd probably grow up and marry each other. But Nora's family then immigrates to Toronto instead and they lose touch. There are a couple of long time jumps throughout the movie and these characters reconnect and it's kind of going to culminate with him visiting her and her husband in New York and who knows what will happen. Will he be looking for something romantic? Will she be responsive to something like that? What about her husband? He's clearly sweating some of this and the movie is about fate and true love and things like that. It's very engrossing. I was in it and stayed in it the whole time and that's a testament to the writing always of course and the acting Uh, it's this very small scale film. It's quiet and kind of slowly paced but it's so well written and acted by everyone that it kind of Feels huge. The leads have terrific chemistry, which only adds to their conundrum, I suppose. They're saying everything with their eyes. There's minimal changes in expression and body language. It's just great stuff. They're doing... A ton, of th- a ton with, not a ton, you know what I mean? Uh, it's a less is more kind of a scenario in the acting department. And it's not a Hollywood story in that these characters don't act like movie characters, they act like real people, and that can make some outcomes a little frustrating along the way. It's uh, more in keeping with the vibe of the piece, so, so I thought it was great. It reminded me a lot of the Richard Linklater before trilogy, before Sunrise, before Sunset, and before Midnight, which star Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, which is basically just them walking around and talking about their relationship and anything else under the sun that comes up we get a lot of that here and like those other movies I found it gripping and you genuinely don't know what's going to happen from moment to moment and you can identify with everyone involved in this kind of bizarre scenario and unlike most movies the characters are also very very aware of how bizarre the scenario they find themselves in is again it's a small scale movie without anything showy going on but uh, when the writing and acting is this good you don't need to blow things up to impress an audience it's already being done if you're a grown up looking for a grown up movie that doesn't involve explosions or CGI, this might be the thing for you. Four couch cushions out of five for a movie called Past Lives in theaters now.
0: All right, and in a moment, I'll tell you what's new at the theaters this weekend, but I just wanted to quickly sort of touch on this because I teed it up last weekend.
1: What, what we see is not what's out there.
0: The first season has wrapped up on Apple TV Plus for a show which has vaulted into one of my favorites of twenty twenty three. And that show is Silo. the ten episode season wrapped up on Friday, June thirtieth. And they still it's still there, I think. the first the whole first episode. Is on their Twitter. If you want to watch it there, if you don't have Apple TV Plus, for example, and you want to take a peek, uh, bold strategy. It had like 58 million views. Of course, that's Twitter views. Uh, so anyone who scrolls past it, I think that counts as a view, I guess. But still, that's pretty good. And you got to imagine uh, at least a handful of people stopped to watch the whole thing in gadget describes the show as simply transcendent sci-fi TV, and they sum it up nicely, saying that Silo is based on the science fiction novel Wool by American author Hugh Howie. It takes place on a post-apocalyptic version of Earth where what remains of humanity is confined to the Silo, a 144-story underground bunker that serves as a self-sufficient underground community. The citizens are told that the world outside the silo is perilous, but questions arise about what truly lies beyond. And it's a clever premise, and Gadget says, that allows the show to explore the book's themes about truth versus fiction and information as power, which are kind of resonant themes in the present day that we live in. And the series has been renewed for a second season. And uh, very happy to hear that because, A, it was one of the best shows of the year. One of the best endings of the year, maybe for, I would say this was one of the best cliffhangers I may have ever seen. My brain went into cardiac arrest when I saw what was happening. It's like an alias season two level uh, finale there, buddy. Sure. I'll have to take <laughs> your word for that. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. It did not go where I anticipated. You knew that it was going to be a swerve of some sort, but Wow. I was very impressed. Excellent performances across the board, led by Rebecca Ferguson, Tim Robbins, and David Oyelowo. Excellent writing, excellent production design, and visuals to create the effect of being in the silo. Like, the sets are fantastic, but you really believe they are down there. And just an excellent mystery. Who built the silo? Who's calling the shots? What's real and what's not? Why do they fear history? Why did they create the rules they created? What exactly does happen if you go outside? If not for, as I mentioned last week, if not for Ted Lasso's third and final season, Silo would hands down be the front runner for my favorite show of the year. I just enjoyed Ted Lasso so much, I don't think anything's going to beat that. But there you go, two Apple TV Plus shows leading the way. Never thought those words would come out of my mouth. Now I just got to tell you about the three New movies in theaters this week. One of them is called Joyride. It's at 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, described as the hilarious and unapologetically explicit story of identity and self-discovery centers on four unlikely friends who embark on a -a once-in-a-lifetime international adventure. When Audrey's business trip to Asia goes sideways, she enlists the aid of her friends uh, to basically go back to China and learn her history, her life story. The second one is insidious, the red door. This is the fifth movie in the insidious franchise, the scary movies. Patrick Wilson is back in this and it's getting bad reviews. The one, one review I saw simply said, just stop, please Stop. (laughs) And uh, there's another one starring Jim Caviezel called "Sound of Freedom," based on a true story. And he basically has to rescue kids from this sex trafficking trade. So it's getting pretty good reviews. Actually, the reviews make it say they say that it it's kind of corny at times and and pretty heavy handed, but it's in a good way. And it's good that the movie is sort of highlighting this awful, awful thing that's out in the world. So three wildly different movies to pick from this weekend. And that is all the time we've got. Next week, Jeff will have a review of Mission Impossible yes. Dead Reckoning Part 1. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.